Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Rob Halpin. Rob is the Director of Public Relations at the MSPCA Angel in Boston, Massachusetts. Rob is responsible for positioning, media strategy and relationships, crisis communications, social media engagement, senior executive counsel, intranet content development, and internal communications at the MSPCA Angel. He works in lockstep with colleagues in the MSPCA's development function to tie proactive PR campaigns to fundraising activity and is directly responsible for raising hundreds of thousands of dollars for various animal protection programs via strongly differentiated, aggressive media relations campaigns. He also serves as primary external spokesperson on issues spanning animal advocacy, MSPCA angel programs and promotions, and the myriad challenges faced by nonprofit organizations. Rob, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. I'm a big fan, and I'm happy to be here. Well, thank you again for supporting the Community Cats podcast by joining us today. And I was just curious, how did you get started in in PR and also in animal welfare, loving animals, and of course, loving cats? Yeah, it, it goes way back. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, show my age now. <laughs> I started I started working in PR about uh, 20 years ago after finishing college and moving to Boston and not knowing anything about the world and not knowing anything about the world of work. But it was a function that fit what I was good at. You know, I, I could write well and I could be persuasive in some moments. There's many moments when I am not. And I just really liked it. And, you know, I was working in Boston and Boston, of course, is, you know, sort of a tech capital of the world. So most of the work I did was in the technology, business to business, software, services kind of stuff. As far away from the realm of animal sheltering and cat rescues you could be. But then about 10 years ago, I moved to New York um, to work for a big PR agency. And I was on a big account that we all know well, AT&T. And it was far more boring and far less labor intensive than I thought it was going to be. So I started volunteering at an animal shelter and I was hooked. (laughs) And from that moment on, I was looking for a way to align my livelihood with my values. And I wanted to step away from that sort of fast track of corporate communications and really lend whatever help I could provide to um, an animal rescue. And upon coming back to Boston, the job at the MSPCA opened up and I went for it. And and here I am. It's been five years. It's been great. Wonderful. That's great. It's sort of like a speed pass, you know, into sort of animal welfare. You went from the corporate sector, basically right into probably one of the or the largest animal shelter in Massachusetts. And I guess I could say probably New England, too. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's been overall a really terrific experience. But, you know, candidly, it was very challenging for me and many of my colleagues when I first joined the MSPCA, because whenever you move from one industry to another, you can't really speak the language and you don't know the culture and you don't know the players. And so I was baffled and confused. They were probably baffled and confused by me. But five years on, we've smoothed it out. And I come to realize every day that having some of that sort of sense of urgency or being 
able to communicate with a wider audience beyond just the folks who are coming to our shelters, even though they are essential and the media who cover us, they are essential. But having a wider perspective um, ingrained in me into the world of, of business and industry has been really, really helpful in the work that I do. So I, I think today's show, we're going to talk a little bit about how to work with the media as any group, whether you're a small organization or a large organization. What are the tips that you would provide for groups that might not have anybody obviously on staff or even a volunteer that has any real experience with the media? What are the sort of tips that you would give them just starting out? Yeah, there are several that I think we should all keep in mind. And I realize that it's a little bit easier for us because I I sort of shelter our shelter people from the kind of bric-a-brac of doing the tactical work with respect to media. And I recognize that not every cat rescue or shelter has that. But look at what we do have. We have an endless stream, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, of cats who are coming to us and needing care before they can go into new homes. Or we have people who um, need support and visibility for their TNR programs or taking care of cats in some way outside of the four walls of a shelter. There's a whole world and many different ways in which people are looking after cats. But what we all have in common are stories for which there is a, a sort of baked in enduring interest. Journalists love to help animals just like we do, and they watch the news with their cat on their lap just like we do. So I have found in the last five years that whenever there's a particular kind of story that we think will resonate, they're almost always going to pick it up and they're almost always going to do it in the way that we hope, you know, leading to a strategic end, maybe fundraising or homes for those cats. So the first thing I would say to folks is think about what is news? What is a story? Get very curious about your local newspaper. If, for instance, you have 15 cats coming into your shelter from one home, we've seen so many things in the world of sheltering that they may, that may not immediately resonate as, oh, this is a big story. I should whip up a press release and a pitch with some photos and get it out to my local news editor. But that's outside the bell curve, right? Most people don't have 10 or 20 or 50. You know, It's not uncommon for us all to be taking in these kinds of numbers of cats from a single home. And that's news. So sticking with that example, you know, two paragraphs or a paragraph and several bullets of the town that the folks who work for the shelter went into, the situation that they saw that these cats were living in, how they rounded up all of these cats, got them in carriers and got them settled. And then, oh, what they're going to need by way of veterinary care and the kinds of homes they're going to need, coupled with some photos, coupled with someone who's, you know, willing and brave enough. And this is something we get better at over time. It's not something we're always so good at right out of the gate, you know, speaking on platforms such as this, or speaking to a news reporter over the phone, or speaking on camera to a television affiliate to unpack and add some perspective to that little pitch you sent out to the media can cause not only a a storm of headlines about the work that we are doing and reaching a whole bunch of new people who don't otherwise know about us, but guaranteed every single time there's going to be a flood of calls and perhaps donations coming into the shelter or rescue group as a result of that work. So you referenced it as a pitch. So a pitch is pretty much a one to two paragraph with description of the scenario of what's going on, you know, currently making sure it's active, fresh news, and maybe then a paragraph of about the organization making sure that there's contact information there. I'm, I'm sort of trying to get into the nuts and bolts of exactly what it is that you're looking at putting together and how do you find the who to send this to? 
Yeah, those are great questions. So let's take the first one. So the ingredients of a pitch really are just that, a paragraph or two about those sort of the scene on the ground that I described previously, and then a few bullets on how the cats are doing, what kind of care they're going to be administered, and the kinds of great homes that they have. That's kind of the minimum, right, that all of our listeners should be thinking about. That's the minimum we can do. Um, we can talk about building out a really winning press release. I'll keep that as a side topic if that's something you want to explore. It's related to this, but it's not always necessary. A really good pitch with photos. Increasingly, photos tell the story. No matter where listeners are, if they think about what's my top media or what's my local newspaper, they're going to have an online section. And for their online section, the online version of their media, it's going to be driven by photos and captions, which is great for us because it's far less work, right, to take some photos and caption them with some pretty compelling bullet points around the conditions the cats were found in, what's their condition now, what kind of home are they going to need, how much care are we providing, etc. That's really what you need, coupled with, as you say, the contact info for the person sending the pitch, and then out the door it goes. Now, where does it go? I think what we should do is look at where we are located as animal rescuers. Do we have a physical brick and mortar shelter? Do we have a particular town in which we operate? Where are we? And then draw a big circle, 50 miles <laughs> every direction, right? Around that location. And then see all of the towns on the map. This sounds incredibly tactical, right? And, and brass tacks, but I spent a lot of time doing this because of course the MSPCA has multiple shelters and we do work all over the state. So you identify all of those towns. And then I tell you, it is as simple as going to Google and entering the name of the town and newspaper and the name of the next town and newspaper and do that until you have a list of perhaps 10 to 15 news outlets. And, and even on Google, if you enter newspaper, it's going to, it's going to pull up for you every kind of news outlet, whether it's a blog or an online publication or a television affiliate, right? Maybe it's an NBC or ABC affiliate, depending on where we may live, right? So you take that media list of 10 to 15 media organizations, and then you contact them. How do you contact them? One email, to phone. So how do you email a newspaper where you don't know anyone? <laughs> or how do you get in touch right. with a TV station and you don't know anyone? It's very simple. Go to the website, look at About Us, contact us. Every newspaper, every blog, every television station is going to have that. And there's always going to be a send your news here. Um, there's going to be an email address for news at WKKK or local news at bostonglobe.com or tips at patch.com, right? There's always going to be that. It's a little weird, right? Because you think, wow, my, my story, my pitch idea is going to go into the ether and it will never come out of there. No one will ever look at it, but I'm telling you they do. Now, what this rests on is, of course, the strength of the story. If you just have a little brown tabby who found herself homeless and a good Samaritan brought her into the shelter and she didn't have any health care needs and she just needed to bunk down for a couple of days until she could find a home, I probably wouldn't. Um, I would keep some powder dry. That is not a cat story that I would offer up to the media. There has to be something, as I said earlier, that's a little bit outside of the bell curve. You know, certainly a cat who has no uh, microchip or ID tags and was hit by a car, you know, in very desperate shape. We've all seen these terrible, terrible things happen to cats. Or um, 
cats, as I mentioned earlier, who come out of what most people would think of as, quote unquote, a hoarding situation where there's dozens or even more cats living in a home. That is news. And if you package it up and if any listeners have any questions, I'll give my contact info at the end of this. They can always email me. I share everything. I share press release drafts. I share pitches because I want us to do well at this. And a cat doesn't know what cage they're sitting in. They just know they want to be in a home. So if we can help other shelters or rescue groups with this, I always want to do that. So if the story is really compelling and you've got those simple ingredients with some bullets and some very good photos, three to five photos that sort of tell a story or round out the story visually in your pitch, you send it to those general contacts and they will get in touch with you. And then you work it from there. They'll want to come meet the cats, accommodate them. They'll want to interview you about it, accommodate them. It's very simple. And we often, you know, we were talking earlier before we started, right? People are a little bit afraid of the news media. And I get that. There's some apprehension about being misquoted and then maybe getting into trouble. The juice is worth the squeeze. We're always going to make um, mistakes. We're always going to say something that we wish we could track back. But I've been working in public relations for 20 years. I've never met a journalist who has intentionally misquoted me or any of my colleagues. If they do, it's a mistake. If it's a mistake, they'll fix it. So knowing that, and I ask us all to just know that these are good working people who are trying to tell stories accurately and in a compelling way, um, let's turn to that to help support our cause. So bring them on in. It's an experiential situation for a journalist. I always say if a journalist is coming to the MSPCA, I want it to be like when Oprah comes to Prada. (laughs) (laughs) I want everybody out and I just want the journalist to experience it. It's never like that, of course, because my colleagues won't let that happen. But don't take for granted just because we see these scenes every day that they're not really compelling for journalists. And then, you know, Stacey, our listeners are going to meet that journalist who just responded to the pitch and you stay connected with them and you ask them the kinds of stories they want to receive, how often they like to be pitched. Do they want to be called? Oh, good. Could I have your contact info? You just start building a relationship with there so that over time, your contact list is less general emails and general, you know, submit your pitch info here and more going directly to news writers who you've worked with in the past. That's great. That's just, that's a whole training session right there, packaged right up. Do you have the perfect selfie with you and one of your cats to share with us for Valentine's Day? Submit your photos to our My Feline Valentine contest and enter to win prizes. A $50 Amazon gift card, books from New York Times bestselling author Cheryl Richardson. Cheryl Richardson's team will be judging the selfies to determine who should win a prize. Winners will be announced on March 8th. As we get submissions, we will also be sharing some of our best photos on our Facebook page, so keep a lookout there. Check out communitycatspodcast.com to find out how to submit your selfie. Are you starting to think about that special gift? Why not give the gift of a Community Cats Podcast branded t-shirt, coffee mug, bag, or other item? This is the perfect way to spread the word about helping community cats. The proceeds from the sales will go to support the Community Cats Podcast and the Community Cats Grants Program, which helps small groups grow their fundraising programs to be able to fund more spay-neuter programs for free-roaming cats. Go to www.communitycatspodcast.com and click on our shop button in the menu bar today to get that perfect community cat gift right now. Thank you, everybody, for supporting the show. 
how do you take these stories and make them into a fundraising event? Yeah, this is what I'm super passionate about because I think that you know, when we first start getting going with public relations, it becomes so monumental and so compelling because it is to just have a pile of news coverage about the work that we do. And that coverage is driving in visitors and driving in calls. It will happen. It's really great. The key is to keep consistent over time. But then as we get better at that, we start to think, okay, what are the strategic ends of the work that I'm doing? And by that, I mean, we are always trying to get donor dollars, right? We are always trying to raise the profile of adoptable cats and other animals in the MSPCA shelter so that we're not just talking to the adopters who took in a cat last week, but we're constantly reaching a wider universe of adopters who don't yet have pets if there's a house without a pet, that house is really golden to us, right? Public relations is excellent in that realm because we can't know everyone that reads the Boston Globe, but everyone who reads the Boston Globe could be a potential adopter. So we start to think a little bit more strategically about this. Now, we just had a situation where we took 80 cats from a particular, from one home in Fall River, Massachusetts. The cats did not need much veterinary care, but it was an overwhelming time because our shelters happened to be very full of cats. So the strategic outcome for that is, oh man, we've got to get these cats into homes as quickly as possible. So I oriented or shaped or built my communication, that same kind of communication we just talked about to the media around the urgency with which we need to find homes for these cats. So what does that look like specifically? You know, the headline of my pitch is, you know, something like, 80 cats uh, pulled from a Fall River home need homes as quickly as possible. The shelter is full. This isn't a very compelling um, a re-articulation of my pitch, but you get the spirit of that, right? <laughs> the cats need homes as quickly as possible. And I played up just how healthy and friendly um, and ready to go into new homes immediately these cats were. And I only did that, and I hope that we do that in those moments so that the kinds of inquiries we get are not just general pat on the back or congratulatory um, email messages that come in for people who read the story in a local newspaper, but people who are like, oh gosh, this cat really needs a home. You know, even though this would never happen, you know, and most shelters are doing such excellent work uh, managing their populations, you almost want people to be left with this notion that it's up to you to be your hero. You know, it's up to you, uh, this one reader of this particular newspaper, to rush to the shelter um, and go get that cat. So the extent to which we can build our pitches around that when we have an urgent population crisis in the shelter, all the better. Now, if I can, I'll shift and talk a little bit about fundraising. Fundraising is great. There's a couple of rules with fundraising. Keep in mind who we are going to. We in public relations or any of your listeners who are going to do this work and may not sit in public relations, they could be a shelter manager, right? That's totally fine. You need not have a public relations title to do this work. We have to be careful that we're not always seen by journalists as sort of flogging them or using them to write stories so that we might get money because that starts to look a little desperate over time. And then it will pull at some other areas that you may not want to 
ever explore with them. Like, gee, how much is your CEO making? <laughs> right? Or how much of the money you pull in from donors goes to programs versus overhead? So I ask us all to just use common sense. And it's very hard to wrap specifics around this or give people guidance, but but use common sense. You know, if you're talking to someone at a cocktail party about the work that they, you do, you sort of have a baked in barometer for how much you're going to talk to that person about a fundraising perspective. If you suspect they might be a donor, you know, you dangle the need for donations and support, but you don't go overboard. So I think that's what we have to think about with the news media. We're not going out to our list of donors here. It's not the same kind of message. We're not going out to a population of people who sign up for her newsletter who are already accustomed to and expecting that kind of message. Now, with that as a guide, what I would say is Keep the powder dry until you have one that's a really good fundraising story. That cat story I mentioned, if those cats had come to us and all of them had advanced disease or significant injuries or something that was not only visually very dramatic, thematically very dramatic, you know, you could tell a story about these cats as being cats who barely survived their ordeal because they are so sick and they're so injured and Owing to the number of cats, there's 80 of them, the bill is going to be $2,000, $4,000, $8,000, $10,000. I would build the pitch around that strategic outcome. So the headline might be XYZ Cat Rescue uh, Seeks Urgent Donations for Severely Injured Cats Pulled from a Hoarding Home. And then you still, with integrity and with truth, um, unpack the story in a similar way. 80 cats were pulled from a home in XYZ town. Almost all of the cats were suffering from advanced stages of XYZ illness or were critically injured in the following ways. Uh, this comes at a time when um, donor support for our rescue is quite low and XYZ uh, shelter or animal rescue is requesting public support for uh, the healthcare that these cats and animals like them are going to need. Then what I would do is the simple thing is to add a link to the donate page on our website, right? And put that into the pitch for um, listeners who may work at a larger outfit that may have a development function or people who work in development or donor relations, they may be able to come up with a unique URL or a unique web page for that particular story with a photo of those animals and a give here, which goes not only to the fund within the organization that you want to give to, this is for a larger, more established organization, but would also allow you to, over time, track how the public relations activity is uh, bringing you toward those goals of raising money because the money that goes into that page, that fund, can be tracked very specifically with a unique URL that a development function can put together. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. One of the things that we used to try to do at the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society, and you never can plan your emergencies with cats, that's for sure. So it's definitely a challenge. But if some scenario, cat hit by car or a hoarding situation or whatever, happened around the same time of one of our larger fundraisers, we would sometimes try and even suggest that some of the money raised at that special event would help benefit these cats as well as other cats that our organization, you know, assisted. How do you think that works with the media? I love that. I'm glad you brought that up because it's a secondary topic. Um, I think that, first of all, plays very well with the media. You want to be able to say to the media after this first wave of stories about what happened, right? That initial pitch is all around what happened on the scene when we got there and we acted. 
what we haven't talked about yet is the sort of updating the media on how it's going. So sticking with that one example, just to make it easier for people to understand and follow, as those 80 cats start to get better and start to go into new homes, get that out as an update to the media who you already sent the story to. You know, even if you can get some photos of adopters with their names and hometowns, think about when you look at a photo in a newspaper, you always see a first and last name and a hometown of anyone who's in a photo. So you have to get their permission, right? Most don't, most uh, adopters who I look to for that do say yes. So we should know that there's a baked in interest in that. And if people say no, I let it alone. I'm very clear. You know, I'd like to take a photo of you and get your name in your town with your new pet and offer this up as a follow-up to the media who've covered this story. Most of the time they say yes. If you can't get photos, that's okay. Just get them an update on how many cats are going into new homes or if you're using it as a fundraising perspective. At some point, you have to go out to the media and update them on how much money has come in. And they love those kinds of updates because they love to know that the work that they do is helping animals. It's a break from some of the other sometimes awful stories that journalists have to cover. They absolutely love covering animal stories. Now, something you mentioned, if I could quickly tee off on, um, because it's a little bit sideways to what you had said, but you can really be a hero if you're working. You're a hero anyway, in my book, if you're doing cat rescue. You're absolutely a hero. Nothing else need be done. (laughs) But if the work that you do sideways to the work you're doing in your shelter or in your community to help cats can help raise uh, public awareness by way of public relations. And you can also package and send those very stories, the media coverage, the photos that you've taken to your development function or your marketing person or the person who's responsible for putting on a fundraising event. If you are large enough, you know, not all of us have a large enough infrastructure to do that. But if there is an infrastructure around fundraising at the organization at which you work, package up the stuff you just wrote for the journalists. Package up their news stories and the photos you took and send them to that person and say, this is a really great example of success and a spotlight for the work we do every day. Might you use it as a spotlight story for the annual banquet? Might you use it for the cover for the quarterly newsletter you send out? Or could it be an e-newsletter story? It takes some work, right, to identify and cultivate these kinds of stories. Think about all of the other channels beyond just media relations that your story might feed after media relations. That's a great suggestion. Even if you need some stories for a display board, if you're doing outreach at various stores or if you do offsite adoptions, create a storyboard. And you can even just use those one or two paragraphs that you used as a pitch to the media with those pictures and just put it up on, on that to be able to share with people who are coming to your booth or, you know, your outreach event to, to learn more about you. So it can even be done on a, on a smaller scale too. We're, we're running tight on time here, but this is just such a fantastic conversation, Rob. We could go on forever and ever and ever, but I have one question before we wrap up is it's a question that I've had is the press release dead or does it still exist in this world where we have social media and we have so many sort of different things coming at us from different directions? I wonder about where the press release lives in all of this. Gosh, that's a that's a topic for a whole new show, isn't it? <laughs> 
the short answer is this. The short answer is this. As long as there is a professional media and journalists working for a newspaper, an online outlet, a television station, the press release is not dead and it can be a very, very effective tool. But just like we talked about with your newsletter or with a storyboard or a story at your event, absolutely after the media run their course and there's some excellent stories, feed your social media with those stories. The media love it because they think, oh, you're getting my stories into a wider world and you're drawing eyeballs to my stories. I'm so grateful. And because of that, I'm more likely to cover you again. And to the sort of theme that we've been talking about for the last 20 minutes, there's a larger resonance to their stories because more people see them when you broadcast those stories on your social media. So, Rob, if folks are interested in asking you some follow-up questions or finding out more about the work that you've been doing for the MSPCA, how could they find you? You can always look at our website, mspca.org. There's a newsroom with excellent examples of press releases and pitches. So go there anytime and beg, borrow, steal. I'm not proprietary about that. And if anyone has any specific questions, I'm happy to talk PR. My email address is R-A-H-A-L-P, like Paul, I-N-R-A-Helpin, at mspca.org. That's great. Rob, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Just hold your head up, do the work that you do, do it with integrity and honor and passion, and then know that there's always going to be an audience among the media who cannot wait to tell your story. Don't be afraid of it. Just go for it. That's a great way to close out the show. Rob, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show. And I definitely would love to have you on the show again in the future. It just seems like we could go on for hours and hours on this topic. I'd love to. It was so fun. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 